Hello, and welcome to Connected Commerce, Business Beyond Borders, the podcast from GBG. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring how businesses will prosper online while building customer trust in the digital world. Now, being as that's a broad and exciting topic, each episode I'll be joined by experts to discuss various subjects. Today, we're going to be chatting about the future of cash, and I'm excited to be joined by two guests who have a lot of thought on this area. First up, we have JJ, who leads the market strategy for identity verification at GBG, and Tony Craddock, Director General at the Emerging Payments Association. Welcome both. It's great to have you here today. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for asking me. Thanks, Chris. Yep, very pleased to be here. So, the future of cash. It's a big topic for sure. Recently, we've seen a heap of news and discussion on this topic. Contactless payments have certainly accelerated. New stats released from the Trade Association, UK Finance, show that the number of people living in an almost cashless life has doubled to 7.4 million. Now, I certainly count myself in that category. In fact, I think the only time cash is used in our house is now when the tooth fairy makes an appearance. Right, let's start at the top. JJ, is the future cashless? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Um, and I, I say that because it, it's been, well, as you've indicated, it's been coming for a while. Yes, it's been accelerated, but that's all the pandemic has done. It's just accelerated it. Consumers have been uh, voting with their cards, their mobile devices for a long time in terms of uh, paying in a cashless manner. Um, they do this because it's a better customer experience, gives them more control. Um, it's uh, the, 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 the move from cash is, is, is driven by you know, other factors like the fact that um, cash is literally dirty. It's physically dirty. It's, um, it underpins a lot of crime. Um, bank branches have been closing. So cards and uh, contactless payments and so on have been, coming, have been becoming um, just a much more convenient way to pay. Great. Thanks, JJ. And how about you, Tony? Exactly the same question. Is the future cashless? So um, it's, a, it's an interesting question. And, I, and I'm the, the, the real thing I'm asking myself is, is to what extent is it relevant? Um, people, people really will always need to use money to buy and sell things. And you're not asking the question, um, is the future moneyless, are you? You're, you're doing what might have been you know, in, in the past asked. Uh, you're asking the question of the travel industry, um, is the future horse and cartless or is the future um, uh, internal combustion engine-less? Um, you know, these are just phases of innovation in, in a particular uh, genre, particular sector. And uh, when it comes to uh, the future of money, the future of money is without cash. Um, but that's not to say that it's going to happen instantly, and it's not to say that it's going to happen completely painlessly. And this is something that uh, both JJ and I believe very strongly in, is, is making sure that we take with us the people who are perhaps either uncomfortable with, uh, unfamiliar with, uh, using um, anything other than cash, um, or for the people who actually simply have this as a preference. They just simply like to use cash. Um, so you've got to bring them with us as well. Yeah, can I just jump in there, actually, uh, Chris? Just pick up on uh, Tony's point about um, what I would term sort of social inclusion. That is absolutely critical. We we can't allow 
any uh, demographics to be marginalised um, by what, what I certainly see, as I've said, as, as, as an inevitable development, um, the, uh, you know, the, the demise of cash. Um, and I, I think it's, um, it's, it's vital that everybody, um, all, all, all organisations, businesses involved um, in this process, be it uh, banks, other financial institutions, um, technology companies that, that underpin payments, um, including, of course, um, you know, our own um, GBG with identity verification, that we all play our part in ensuring that those people are not marginalised and are not um, cut out of um, the, the payment process. So you both spoke a little bit there about innovation. And one of the things that is really important to to society, in, in, in my opinion, is the experiences that people have whenever they're making any kind of transaction, whether that's in store or online. So, and, and Tony, you mentioned the the innovation of the, the particular genre of, of payments and using um, cash or using a, some form of contactless payment. Where do you think we're going next? So the ultimate place, of course, will be when we go to a shop and we um, we go into it and we pick up some items. Um, and the shop could be online; it could be a physical shop. And then we leave without uh, without the um, uh, without the need to go through the friction, uh, the the pain of paying. Um, I will, of course, want to have a little bit of friction because I might uh, I might. Um, uh, want to be alerted to the fact that the uh, 1963 bottle of claret that I just slipped into my into my supermarket trolley um, was a little bit more expensive than I expect, expected. So I want to be able to have some friction in the transaction. Um, but generally, I'm looking forward to the point at which, as we have with Amazon Go, um, or, um, uh, the, the, the ability to not actually having to pay. Um, that's where that's where the movement of money is going. Um, in the meantime, of course, we've got a whole series of things that are going to go in the way uh, of of uh, of cash. Um, things that are going to no longer be needed. Uh, the card at some stage will no longer be needed. An awful lot of people are paying by mobile now, um, or they're paying by contactless ring, like the KWK wearables ring. Um, and um, so it's it's a matter of uh, trying to anticipate things, not not moving too fast, but not patronising people by forcing them to use old technology when actually the new technology is better. And those are, those are really, really good points. And, and building on that, JJ, you mentioned around social inclusion. And the, the point that really, the word actually that really stood out to me, Tony, was not patronising people. So how, JJ, how do we feel about how we, we ensure that innovation is suitable for um, all people to make sure that, that social inclusion is, is continual and, and doesn't change? There's, there's an education process um, for, for, for sure to to help um, get the message across that actually cash is not the best way um, of paying. Um, some people feel that it gives them more control. Well, in reality, yes, okay, you start with £100, you spent it, it's gone, but you've got no record of where it went. That's not control. Use um, a, a, a digital bank with a great app. You know exactly where that £100 went. You can view it by a retailer, merchant, uh, you, you can view it by category of spend, that's control. So there's a message there to help uh, get that, get that, explain that message um, to, to people. Um, there's also something around the fact that people who depend on cash 
will often pay the highest prices for things. I mean, who pay, who pays the most uh, most money for their gas and electricity? People with cash top up prepay meters. Now that that's absolutely shocking. They're the people who can least afford to um, to you know to, to pay those rates. So it comes back to my point that uh, yes, well, yes, there's education, but there's also a role for. Um, banks, everybody else who's, who's in this process to get these people into the system. Um, uh, for, for, I mean, to, to take a, the specific example of um, verifying people's identity. Now, that can be difficult when you're um, potentially um, sort of socially excluded. Um, you don't. You have what's you know termed a thin credit file, not much data about you. But there are ways of ensuring that those people can. Um, have their identity verified. Um, an example is vouching, where somebody else confirms that it's their identity and that person has had their identity confirmed. So there's lots of different ways of doing this. But the important thing, the vital thing, is to ensure that these people are brought into the uh, the world of digital payments. I, I also think, Chris, that it's, it's, it's necessary to give people uh, tools um, that will help them to choose products that are suitable for for them. So, uh, the Inclusion Foundation, which is a, a community interest uh, company that's been uh, set up by uh, the EPA out of its project Inclusion work, supported by Mastercard. Um, the Inclusion Foundation has a really great product that is going to be launching soon called Inclusion. Um, uh, sorry, signpost, signpost now. And what signpost da- now does is it signposts for people who maybe don't have an appropriate payment account, current account type product, um, which one is suitable for them. And so for people who perhaps don't have the usual KYC compliant documents, um, they can still get a product that's suitable for them. Um, it might be that they want to be able to send money home to certain countries. It might be that they um, they want to be able to use it to generate a credit rating. All of these sort of features are different according to the hundreds of different uh, payment account products that are out there. So part of the solution here is actually giving them access to the tools that they can use to help themselves as well as doing what Jonathan's mentioned, which is educate them, inform them, inspire them, give them confidence, give them trust in these digital products and services, and discover that actually they are dead cool. They do give more control um, and they give more freedom as well as greater security than simply having the risk of having um, uh, a bunch of uh, used £20 notes under your mattress. Great. Those are some, again, some fantastic points there. And I think the, the key thing for me on, on this topic or this particular area of the topic is around ensuring that people are educated enough to be able to make informed decisions to make sure that they make the right choice for them. But then also, I'm really interested in how we go about protecting um, consumers and the choices that they make. So we've also seen, again, during the, the COVID pandemic that we're experiencing, a rise in fraud cases and, and scams, different types of scams. Now, those fraudsters are always going to be out there and will always adapt to um, specific changes, whether it's um, societal changes, um, whether it's a particular crisis, or whether it's um, the technology that is innovating. Um, I'm really interested, actually, to talk a little bit about how we protect consumers, maybe who's responsible for doing that alongside educating um, 
people about the the wider choices of of payment methods. Um, JJ, let me come to you on that particular point for now. But in again, trust is very important for consumers. Where do you think that falls into responsibility? Well, it's definitely the responsibility of payment providers to create a framework that consumers can trust. I mean, I'll give you an example. Banks, uh, card issues and so on, have had to implement uh, strong customer authentication to uh, increase the security in the payment process, as, as everyone in payments, of course, knows. Now, a lot of banks have chosen to do that um, via SMS, text messaging. So they text message um, a one-time code. SMS was never designed for secure communication. It was uh, it's a very old, um, decades-old protocol um, that was designed literally for simple text messages. It's been hijacked by um, banks because it seems like a simple one-size-fits-all method of communication, but it's massively compromised. It's easily compromised by um, uh, fraudsters, bad actors, um, pretending to be banks, sending out messages, and, well, smishing, as it's called. And that creates a real threat because consumers, they get a text, they think it's from their bank, but do they, they're confused. Is it really from their bank because they've read about, they've heard about fraud and so on. So it's really important that the payments industry and the wider financial community ensures that the, um, the, the methods of communication with consumers are secure and can be trusted and using old sort of lowest common denominator technology just doesn't fit the bill there. Perfect. And then, um, Tony, in relation to in in relation to that particular topic as well, and what you've mentioned around the signpost now product, um, the working with the likes of Mastercard to create um, greater access to to these new technologies is something that um, I think should definitely be commended. Um, and then, how is that then built into, I guess, that trust framework that JJ was really talking about? about there is that working with different technology companies is it making sure that again that education is is seamless to the users it's um jj mentioned about yeah. ensuring that that trust is it's essentially seamless that it's just part of every every everyday life so so i think you, your your points are very valid if we look at what's happening next the last four or five years we've been uh, visioning we've been building the, the open banking capabilities in the UK and in different places around the world. And, and in fact, the EPA has done a, a report recently called Unleashing the Potential of Open Banking, um, which compares and contrasts different ways in which open banking has been adopted in different parts of the world. Now, this is going to require consumers to learn new ways of doing things. They're going to have to be replacing paying by cash by replaying paying using new capabilities that are available under the open banking uh, standards. Uh, that's very exciting, um, but there's one or two things that are going to cause problems. Uh, we know, for example, that when we um, pay using a card, uh, we know what the experience will be like. It's either contactless, up to now, we understand, a £45 limit, and we touch and pay um, We, uh, if we're at a point of sale. Um, if it's above that, we know the experience of putting the, uh, the pin into the, into the terminal. Um, unfortunately, the way in which people are paying for things using bank-to-bank -bank payments enabled under the open banking standard is not consistent 
Um, often there are several steps involved. Often it requires you time to pause and, and wait for various permissions to come through from different places. And so the inconsistency of the customer experience um, and its variability is likely to mitigate against people adopting new ways of doing things. So if we're talking about cash and the replacement of cash, if one of the things we're going to be offering is a uh, an open bank and banking enabled customer journey. It has to be high quality and it has to be consistent. If it's neither of those things, it'll put consumers off and that'll have a negative halo impact. In other words, a negative impact on ordinary payments. And there's a potential it will undermine, undermine trust. So one of the things the industry has to champion is quality and consistency in the rollout of open banking. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point you make, Tony, um, about uh, new methods of payment where they're significantly different, the potential for uh, consumer confusion. Um, Where a payment method evolves from a previous one, and there's a clear sort of, I suppose you call it a journey between the two, that makes it much simpler for consumers to adapt. Um, The example I've got in my mind is um, something like Apple Pay or Google Pay, where it uh, it emulates a contactless trans- transaction. Obviously, you don't need a card. You've already saved your card in your phone. Um, but you can make so you can make a contactless payment, but without any of this forty five pound uh, you know low limit business. Um, effectively, it's the, the limit's typically ten thousand pounds. So it's an easy experience for a consumer to understand. It's still a contactless transaction. I mean, it's been great over the last uh, few months, in particular. Um, I haven't put a, a pin number into a. Uh, POS device for months and months now. Um, mm. Much easier for consumers to get to grips with. I think, you know, that's the point I'm really making. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. And all that's about, it's about trust. Yes. Yes. Consumers trust it because it emulates what went before. And, and I suppose the other thing is it's backed by recognizable brands, Apple, Google, mm. Samsung, whoever. Mm. So one of the things building on that point as well that's been really interesting to me, and again, during this uh, this last few months that we've experienced is I've got two young kids. Um, looking at how we use um, money in education is also something that is going to need to evolve along with that that line of education on physical usage of, of technology. So whether it's a contactless payment, um, Tony, you mentioned rings or, or um, other wearables. Physically, so my, my kids don't see cash. Um, so how we educate them on on how to calculate and finance and budget also needs to adapt and change. Now, homeschooling is a challenge, yeah. and I fully appreciate what the <laughs> teachers do day in, day out. Um, but it's, it's, it goes to the very grassroots of, of what we're talking about in terms of educating and building that trust from the very beginning. There's the start, but then also with new technologies and evolving use cases, um, when more adopters come on and using contactless payments, that education is different, but it's is still very much important. So um, definitely lots to do. The future is, um, I think, what we've all just been discussing, and the future is about evolving um, the use of money and the methods in which um, that they're that they're adopted. So, Chris, yes, it's all about education, isn't it? And in our increasingly um, diverse world where there's a, 
a chasm between the people who have the education and the understanding and the technology and the tools at their disposal and those who don't, for whatever reason of misfortune or vulnerability or exclusion, have those things. Um, there, is this, there is this big gap. In, in that world, we actually have to be prepared to f- formally and proactively Educate, and that's education in in two forms, I believe. One is in the form of traditional teaching, yes, at schools and and thereafter, um, encouraging uh, peers to teach each other, encouraging carers to understand what they're cared for, should be understanding and learning and using. Uh, but I also believe that the the simple promotion of these products and services. Enable people to learn by using. Learn by using is a really powerful educational form. If we can encourage those excluded to experience these products and services, then they'll learn and be educated and therefore benefit from them. And we will reduce the size of the chasm. For me, that digital footprint and making sure that there's that can be that tracked and um, again, again, if it ensures safety and security, um, keeping it simple is 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 very important in that as well. Um, JJ, I'll pass over to you, but it is all about yes. that um, that simple approach. Yeah, I, I I think we will certainly move away from um, a, 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 the digital manifestation of of uh, cash now. So digital money in the context of, you know, I've got some money in my bank account, I can see it in an app, but actually it's represented in effect by analog money, if you like. Um, We will move away from that to pure digital currency, I have no doubt. Um, But, and I think kind of to Tony's point, it will have to be in a way that is um, recognisable and uh, easy to understand for every consumer. And that's where cryptocurrency manifestly fails at the moment because it's um it, it's it's not easy to understand it's not easy to manage um uh, some 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 organizations have made it relatively easy to buy and hold crypto um but underlying it there's still the same infrastructure um that, that underpins it um so yes i think we will move in that direction um and it will be but it will be very different to what people think about in terms of digital currencies now yeah, and I think that's the evolution that we've spoken about throughout this whole conversation is about that it's not going to be, it's definitely not going to be tomorrow and it's definitely not going to be next month, but there is a continual cycle and journey where we need to bring both consumers um, along for the ride as well. The technology companies are there to help enable and facilitate that, but also the key point about the security and the trust to make sure that um, whether it's a bank or other institutions can still make sure that um, they protect the customers and protect the um, the society around um, fraudsters and scams and whether it's anti-money laundering or, or anything else that's in, in play at the moment. Yeah, we keep hearing it. It's, it's a journey. It absolutely is. There's, there's a lovely quotation from, um, uh, well, it's one of my favourite quotations from um, a book written in the 1980s, um, Count Zero by... William Gibson. Um, This quote just sums it all up for me. Um, He had his cash money, but you couldn't pay for food with that. It wasn't actually illegal to have the stuff. It was just that nobody ever did anything legitimate with it. That's ultimately where I suspect we'll go with cash. 
<laughs> I'm sure we will. So that that's um that's a great um conversation and, and and I thank you both. So really just to summarize what we've been talking about. At the beginning we we asked you the question of is the future cashless? And from what I've heard it's an unresounding yes. But over time, in terms of it's an evolution, it's about providing better experiences, making sure that that choice is available to to everyone globally and to make sure that people understand and are educated when we when we come to that point. And then behind the scenes, it's all about securing trust in um, what people are using and the choices that they make. So I'm going to um, I'm going to wrap up the the conversation there. So thanks very much, JJ and Tony. Now I really appreciate you um, spending the time today. Um, but to finish off, I'm going to I'm going to be asking all of my guests in the in the podcast se- se- series about um, one particular thing. So I'm going to pass over to you first, Tony, um, and then JJ, if you can follow up with um, the, the answer of the same question is, what is the single most important thing businesses can do to maintain trust? And like I said, Tony, if you could answer that, that'd be great. So my old Dutch mentor, when I was in my 20s, taught me that trust equals intimacy times credibility over risk. If you write that down, it's quite simple. If you want to increase trust, you either reduce risk or increase intimacy and credibility. Simple formula, magic happens and trust gets built. Fantastic. Thanks, Tony. And same question to, for you, JJ. Uh, well, for me, it's um, I think it's whether a business engages remotely or face-to-face with customers it's the focus on creating a digital customer experience, and that's across payments, onboarding, identity checks, all the customer touch points, where if you get it wrong, you create friction and frustration for your customers. Fantastic. Okay. Well, that's a wrap, guys. Thanks very much for joining me. And um, I hope everyone um, appreciated the, the thoughts that we provided on that podcast. So tune into the next episode of Connected Commerce Business Beyond Borders from GBG.